This morning we have the privilege of opening up God's Word and reading of one of those revivals that takes place within a nation, takes place with, within a land. It's also the beginning of our summer series. We are up to those individuals whose names begin with the letter K as we go through Scripture. Um, one of the interesting things is there aren't very many. So uh, we're combining it uh, not only with uh, K but also L this year. Uh, there's a lot more individuals in Scripture whose names begin with the letter L. So uh, just one of those little nuances uh, of Scripture as well. But this morning we're going to look at a man by the name of Kish. Now you might be thinking, uh, so why are we in Second Chronicles 29? That's the father of Saul, and you are correct. Uh, we'll be looking at him in a, in a few weeks. But there are more than one individual in Scripture by the name of Kish. And uh, this is perhaps the lesser known of all of them. Second Chronicles chapter 29. Hezekiah began to reign when he was 25 years old, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that David his father had done. The first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. He brought in the priests and the Levites and assembled them in the square on the east and said to them, Hear me, Levites. Consecrate yourselves and consecrate the house of the Lord, the God of your fathers, and carry out the filth from the holy place. For our fathers have been unfaithful and have done what was evil in the eyes of the Lord our God. They have forsaken him and have turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord and turned their backs. They also shut the doors of the vestibule and put out the lamps and have not burned incense or offered burnt offerings in the holy place to the God of Israel. Therefore the wrath of the Lord came upon Judah and Jerusalem, and he has made them an object of horror, of astonishment, and of hissing, as you see with your own eyes. For behold, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity for this. Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, in order that his fierce anger may turn away from us. The sons, do not now be negligent, for the Lord has chosen you to stand in his presence, to minister to him and to be his ministers, and to make offerings to him. Then the Levites arose. Hath the son of Amasah, Joel, the son of Azariah, of the sons of the Kohathites, and of the sons of Merai, Kish, the son of Abdi, and Azariah, the son of Jehaliel, and, and of the Gershonites, Joah, the son of Zimmah, and Eden, the son of Joah, and of the sons of Elizaphan, Shimri, and Jewel, and of the sons of Asaph, Zechariah, and Matanah, and of the sons of Heman, Jehuel, and Shimei. And of the sons of Jethunan, Shimeiah, and Uziel. They gathered their brothers and consecrated themselves and went in as the king had commanded by the words of the Lord to cleanse the house of the Lord. 
The priest went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it, and they brought out all the uncleanness that they found in the temple of the Lord into the court of the house of the Lord. And the Levites took it and carried it out to the brook Kidron. They began to consecrate on the first day of the first month, and on the eighth day of the month they came to the vestibule of the Lord. Then for eight days they consecrated the house of the Lord, and on the sixteenth day of the first month they finished. Then they went to Hezekiah the king and said, We have cleansed all the house of the Lord, the altar of burnt offerings and all its utensils, and the table for the showbread and all its utensils, all the utensils that King Ahaz discarded in his reign when he was faithless, we have made ready and consecrated, and behold, they are before the altar of the Lord. Then Hezekiah the king rose early and gathered the officials of the city and went up to the house of the Lord. They brought seven bulls, seven rams, seven lambs, seven male goats for a sin offering for the kingdom and for the sanctuary and for Judah. And he commanded the priests, the sons of Aaron, to offer them on the altar of the Lord. So they slaughtered the bulls, and the priests received the blood and threw it against the altar. And they slaughtered the rams, and their blood was thrown against the altar. And they slaughtered the lambs, and their blood was thrown against the altar. The goats for the sin offering were brought to the king and the assembly, and they laid their hands on them. The priests slaughtered them and made a sin offering with their blood for the altar to make atonement for all Israel. The king commanded that the burnt offering and the sin offering should be made for all Israel. He stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, harps, and lyres according to the commandment of David and of Gad the king's seer and of Nathan the prophet, for the commandment was from the Lord through his prophets. The Levites stood with the instruments of David and the priest with the trumpets, and Hezekiah commanded that the burnt offering be offered on the altar. When the burnt offering began, the song of the Lord began also, and with the trumpets accompanied by the instruments of David, king of Israel. Then the whole assembly worshipped, and the singers sang, and the trumpeters sounded. All this continued until the burnt offering was finished. When the offering was finished, the king and all who were present with him bowed themselves and worshipped. Hezekiah the king and the officials commanded the Levites to sing praises to the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. They sang praises with gladness and they bowed down and worshipped. Let's fire the reading of God's word. Let's pray and ask for God's blessing upon us. Shall we pray? Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, uh, we do pray for revival and we pray for revival in your church. And dear Father, we understand that this only comes through your spirit. And uh, Father, we just um, we just humbly uh, pray for this. And uh, what a joyful thing it is when your spirit is at work. And we also praise you for your word, that you will uh, open our hearts this morning to receive this word from you. We ask your blessing on it. Be with Pastor Bob as he brings the word. And give him everything that he stands in need of. All this in the precious name of our Savior we pray. Amen. So this morning it's a man called Kish. I'm going to look at four things from this passage. First of all, that he is a man who lived during King Hezekiah, setting it in that timework, in that frame, uh, helps us to understand what is going on as we read through the rest of this passage. So first, he is a man who lived during King Hezekiah. Second, he is a man who was a Levite. 
fact that this was his tribe, this is his position in Israel and in Judah, helps us further to understand what is happening in this passage. And then thirdly, he is a man who served. Not just a man with a title, but he is a man who worked. Then we will draw, Lord willing, three applications from this this morning as well. He's a man who lived during King Hezekiah. Given the fact of how old a Levite needed to be in order to serve in the temple, it would also be safe to say the following, that he is a man who had seen the worst evil. See, prior to this, in chapter 28, we read of a previous king, a man by the name of King Ahaz. I want to invite you to go back to chapter 28, and let me read those opening verses as you follow along. Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. He did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord as his father David had done, but he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. He even made metal images for the Baals, and he made offerings in the valley of the son of Hinnom and burned his sons as an offering, according to the abomination of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And he sacrificed and made offerings on the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. Then turn as well to um, the, the latter portion here, verse 22. We read of his further idolatry. In the time of his distress, he became yet more faithless to the Lord. This same King Ahaz, for he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus that had defeated him and said, because the gods of the kings of Syria help them, I will sacrifice to them that they may help me. They were the ruin of him and of all Israel. They has gathered together the vessels of the house of God and cut in pieces the vessels of the house of God. And he shut up the doors of the house of the Lord. And he made himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem. In every city of Judah he made high places to make offerings to other gods, provoking to anger the Lord, the God of his fathers. Now the rest of his acts and all his ways from first to last, behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. Ahaz slept with his fathers. They buried him in the city in Jerusalem. They did not bring him into the tombs of the kings of Israel. He was an evil man, this King Ahaz. And, and Kish, one of these Levites who is mentioned in chapter 29, lived through this. They lived through, in effect, their job being eliminated. They were those who were to serve in the temple. That job got eliminated. Ahaz goes farther than other kings. A lot of the kings of Israel kind of synchronized the two. They'd worship the veil, but they kept the temple open. They're trying to appease all parts of it. Ahaz goes to the extent of saying, I don't even think there is a Lord God of Israel. I don't think there is a Yahweh. Let's close off the temple, and let's worship only those gods of the Syrians and the Baals, for they're the ones who are our helpers. They're the ones who defeated us in battle. Therefore, we ought to acknowledge them and serve them, and let's just close off the temple. He had seen the worst evil. He had seen a king so evil that he even sacrifices his sons in the fire. When you read that in various commentaries, some 
some commentators don't want to be quite so hard on the guy, and they say, well, it was just some sort of service. He didn't really give him into the fire. And yet, when you read the practice that was involved in pagan cultures, it was a literal sacrifice. So I think we take Scripture again as it states it to us. This man did evil in the eyes of the Lord, more evil than those who had gone before him. Kish had lived through this time we don't know what, how old he is. That age is not given to us. But he's old enough to know. He's old enough to see. He's old enough to observe. But this is great evil. Now there is a change. King Ahaz dies. The last phrase of chapter 28 is, And Hezekiah, his son, reigned in his place. And you and I probably don't catch the dramatic shift that is going on there. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 29 are trying to help us to see that. See, what is happening is this. He lived through the worst of evil. But now there is the potential of much good. This new king, this new transition, the old is gone. Ahaz, with all of his evil is no longer. He doesn't even get a proper burial in terms of burying with the kings. Even the people are saying, this, this guy is disgusting. This guy is revolting. We're, we're not even going to give him the honor we give to many of the other kings. There is a sense, you see, something is about to change. And the fact that it's Hezekiah who comes to the throne full of great potential. Full of great potential, one, because of the ancestry that we are given. We are told that his mother's name is Abijah and that his grandfather then is a man by the name of Zechariah. This Zechariah is also mentioned in Isaiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. This Zechariah is known as the faithful witness to the Lord. This Zechariah is known as a man of God. That in the time of Isaiah, who lives in this same time frame, God says, this is my reliable witness. So you see, there is much potential because of this ancestor. Here is a man not raised in the culture of evil. This is a man who, who is raised in a godly, there is potential here. Yes, his father is Ahaz. But his mother is Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. Something might be happening. The Lord might be doing something. You know, we've just gotten done with the whole hundred days of President Trump. What's he going to do in the first hundred days? What's he going to do in the first hundred days? And it's like if it didn't get done in the first hundred days, it won't get done. That's sort of the mentality of, of the media in our world today. Well, it's rather interesting. We have somewhat of that same buildup to Hezekiah. Verse 3. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, so if you apply it to today, what, is, what does Hezekiah do in his first hundred days? He 
opens the doors of the house of the Lord. Say, well, why is that significant? Because what did we read about his father Ahaz? His father Ahaz closed the doors. His father Ahaz, Ahaz said, no more worship of the Lord. That's done. Bar those doors. Might have even put guards there, for, for all we know, to keep people from entering. Nobody gets in the courtyard. Nobody gets in the temple. That's not happening. That's not taking place. In the first month of the first year of his reign, Hezekiah opens the doors. See, Kish is a man who lived to see the worst of evils. But he is also a man who is standing to the point of being able to see the tension. Secondly, Kish is a man who is a Levite. We learn that as we turn down to verse 12. We learn that the Levites arose, and then there is the list of these individuals who are mentioned by name. Kish being one of those Levites. Now let's just remind ourselves of that significance. Okay, If you're a Levite, you're of the tribe of of Levi, one of the twelve sons of Jacob. You are the tribe that has been distinguished at Mount Sinai. When Moses comes down from the mountain, the people of Israel are worshiping that golden calf, and judgment is called forth. Moses asks who is going to come, who is going to serve the Lord, and it is the Levites as a tribe who arm themselves and go throughout the camp killing those who are involved in the rebellion of the golden calf. God says, because they have so distinguished themselves, because they arose and were willing to fight even against their brothers, they forever are going to be the ones who get to serve in my tabernacle. Now, for those of you visiting that that may just be sort of a statement for those of you as members, you, you begin to understand the significance of that after we've just gone through this series on the tabernacle and the court of the tabernacle. It is the Levites who get to daily go in, who get to daily serve. They have the, the awesome joy and delight of being able to, to minister within that tabernacle. Now there, there's no more tabernacle, but there's a temple that has been constructed. They're the ones who, who have the privilege now of serving in that temple as a tribe. What had happened, Ahaz closed the door. No more sacrifice. No more incense. It even sounds like, like Ahaz goes out of his way to, to get rid of the very instruments that, that Levites would have been using. The very tools of their trade. The utensils that God commissioned. Ahaz, as it were, takes them out of, her, out of their hands. Says, no, you can't use the tools of your trade to serve the Lord anymore. We're not going to do that here in Judah. 
This is his tribe. But now it is this tribe, it is these people, that Hezekiah is addressing in those verses of 3 through 11. He's calling them out. He's saying, men, I need you. I need you to consecrate this temple. I need you to cleanse it. I need you to do your work. I can't do it, Hezekiah is basically saying. I'm king. I'm I'm of the tribe of Judah. I'm a descendant of David. It's not my place to be in the temple, working in the temple. That's not my calling, but it is yours. In a sense, what Hezekiah is saying is, my father put you out of work. I'm calling you back to work. I'm calling you into active duty. You're no longer on the outskirts. You're no longer the downtrodden. You're no longer the despised within Judah. I need you to serve. I need you to step forward, to purify, to cleanse, to consecrate. See, all of this stuff had been used for for immoral worship. All of this stuff had been used in pagan rituals. And now it's dirty. It's dirty spiritually, but it's probably dirty physically as well. Those doors have been shut. See, it's interesting, isn't it? They opened the doors. And Hezekiah says, I need some help. It's almost the picture of he doesn't quite know what to expect. And when they open the doors of their temple and see the mess that is inside, they realize this isn't just setting up a few candlesticks here or there. This place needs a complete do-over. This place needs to be consecrated again. as It was in the time of Solomon as Moses consecrated all those items for the tabernacle. They look and they see the horror of a church, quote-unquote, a temple that has been left in disrepair. I need you to come serve. Verse 12, then the Levites arose. If you're in the habit of underlining things in your scriptures, underline that phrase. Then the Levites arose. They were called to serve. They were called to duty. And they served. I think one of the most, and this is kind of a tie-in back to the whole Memorial Day thing as well. Perhaps others of you have have attended a funeral in in which the person was a military individual and they're burying them with military honors and you have the the military escort uh, present and the chaplain comes forward and and, and he's reading a, a kind of a set document. But it's interesting when you listen to that. When our comrade heard and received the call to duty, he arose and he went and he served honorably our nation. 
Those are words that, that in my heart, I mean, there, there's my heart always just kind of jumps a beat right there. To think, yes, this was an individual who was called to duty. He didn't run. He didn't flee. He didn't sit on his hands. He arose. He answered the call to duty that our nation placed upon him. That's why we do take that moment before a worship service to, to acknowledge those in our own congregation who are presently serving, who have served, who know of someone who died in that service. Because they arose. They answered the call to duty. There is a picture there for, for our children. There's a picture for us. There's a reminder to us of what these individuals have done. But on a completely higher plane, on now a spiritual level, we're reading, here is the call to duty. And these men, these Levites, Kish being one of them, answers the call to duty. Then the Levites arose. Now, we might think that, well, how do, how are we to understand that word? Well, in a variety of ways. One, it means they literally stood. It means they stood up. It means they got themselves ready. They got themselves prepared. But in this context, it means then the Levites arose. It means it's it's with the same understanding that you would read that a person arose and went to his field to work. It's the idea that they they went to work. They got at the task. They arose. It's not just they stood up and said, well, now what? I'm standing. Now, they went to work. Hezekiah has called them to duty. They are taking that responsibility seriously. They are answering that call. They are arising. So important is this. So necessary that God includes the name of every one of the Levites who is involved in this task. That doesn't just say, then the Levites arose. Yeah, there were a few of them. But, you know, that, that, that's unimportant. Let's just move on. Now, God lists those names down through time, down through history. God, by his Holy Spirit, inspires a writer, a chronicler, to pen these men's names. God wants it known of those who answered his call, of those who arose, those who went to work, of those who fulfilled their duty and responsibility, of those who filled their calling. Their names are written down. They're not lost for the ages. This man, Kish, this man, Eden, this man Shimrai, this man Jeul, this man Shimei, this man, 
and this man, and this man, when they were called, arose, went to work. Well, thirdly, he is a man who served. Let's talk about that work. What is it that they're doing? Well, it is a noble task. Noble tasks don't necessarily mean highfalutin tasks. This is a noble call. This is an honorable call. What are they doing? Part of the cleanup. His name is mentioned in Scripture because he's part of the cleanup. Pick it up at verse 18. They gathered their brothers, consecrated themselves, went in as the king had commanded by the words of the Lord to cleanse the house of the Lord. And it would appear that in a 16-day process, they cleansed the entire house of the Lord. We're going to read later on that, that Hezekiah makes a comment and he says this had to be with the blessing of God that this was done so quickly. Hezekiah is startled by the fact that in 16 days that which he observed as those doors were open has been cleansed. It means these men took seriously their calling and task. They see that the, the, the responsibility. They, they don't look at this, this cleansing of the temple, this consecrating of the temple as being, ah, you know, if it takes us three months, it takes us three months. You know, we got all sorts of time. What's the big deal? Now, there, there seems to be a sense of urgency. There is a sense, even by Hezekiah's comment, of the fact that, that these men, uh, we would perhaps use the phrase, put their shoulder to the work, got at it, dug in, cleaned up, brought all those items down to Kidron Brook, cleansed them, cleaned them, got it all spick and span once again in order that those temple doors might be opened for worship once again. You say, well, couldn't they have used the temple in the state it was in? And the answer is no. Why? Because God is holy. God does not dwell with the unholy. There had to be that, that picture. There had to be that understanding that this temple needed to signify purity. And God doesn't just do it by a miracle. God doesn't just say, stand back, watch the fire of the Lord. Ten seconds later, whoosh, comes in the fire. Everything's cleansed. Everything's purified. It's done. God says, no, I want to see you do it. I want to see you Levites do it. I'm calling you to duty. And the Levites arose. gathered themselves together. They consecrated themselves. They made themselves through that process set aside, set apart, cleansed, work. Cleansed for the work of cleansing. See, see, 
the significance of what is going on? In order to do the work in the temple, they themselves had to be cleansed. And then they put themselves to the work. Part of the queen, of course. But there's another thing going on. This isn't just about cleaning a building. This is about revival. See, that's what's going on when we pick it up at verse 20 after we've talked about the cleaning and the utensils and everything that, that have been made ready, consecrated. And behold, verse 19 ends, they are before the altar of the Lord. Then Hezekiah the king rose early. What do they do? They come back and they begin to worship. There is a revival that is taking place within the nation. Their previous king had led them away from the Lord. Hezekiah is bringing them back. There is a revival. But you see, that revival can't happen without Kish. It can't happen without Elizaphan. It can't happen without those other Levites. The place needs to be cleansed. Once the cleansing has taken place, now the revival begins. There is worship once again. And as the true worship of the Lord begins to arise and begins to build, more and more reformation takes place. The Passover is restored. Hezekiah begins to go throughout the land and all those places that we read in terms of Ahaz, setting up high images. Hezekiah goes throughout the land and says, no, we're getting rid of all of this. There is a revival that takes over this nation. You turn down verse 36. And Hezekiah referenced this verse earlier. And Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced because God had provided for the people. For the thing came about suddenly. at this going, this has to be the hand of the Lord. The Lord is at work. See, when we sing that hymn about showers of blessing, it talks about the mercy drops falling. You know, think, think of when, when we have a rainstorm, you know, you, you, you get just some little matter. Friday afternoon, I'm out mowing the lawn, and all of a sudden, big drops start falling. And they're cold. They were cold, and I'm looking up, and I'm like, I didn't even see a cloud that would bring any of this. Just those drops here and there. What the writer of that hymn is saying, Lord, we see the evidences of individuals coming we see the evidences of your grace. An individual here, an individual there, an individual there. Looked at the, the hood of the, the John Deere. Yeah, you could see a drop here, and then about a foot and a half away, here's a drop, and another one over here, and another one over here. But in the hymn, what we're praying for is, Lord, not just mercy drops, not just an individual here or there. Lord, we want a revival. 
We want your spirit to be poured out so that it's like this torrential rainstorm of people coming to Christ. Hezekiah is looking at this saying, I see the hand of the Lord in this. I see reformation. Go to the end of chapter 30. As I mentioned, they reinstitute the Passover. Verse 26. So there was great joy in Jerusalem, for since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem. Then the priests and the Levites arose and blessed the people, and their voice was heard, and their prayer came to his holy habitation in heaven. Those are unique words in Scripture. We don't read that very often. Here are individuals okay, who, who are who are consecrated to the Lord. They've, they've consecrated the temple. There is worship established again. The hand of God is at work. And they're raising prayers to the Lord. And the Lord in his holy habitation. See, this is a man. He's, he's, he's part of the cleanup crew. That's his task, along with these other Levites. They arise. They do the work. That leads to a revival, which leads to God's blessing upon that nation. That prayers are now heard by the Lord. See, sometimes do you... Do you do you get the feeling that the Lord does not hear or isn't hearing our prayers for showers of blessing? Maybe it's because that's all we're doing is praying. And if we examine the passage for the prayer to be heard, in his holy habitation, there needed to be Levites who arose and answered the call. So let me give three applications this morning. Say, well, okay, I kind of get your point, but. What's that got to do with us? We're not Levites. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Every one of you who is a believer in Jesus Christ, I can say, in a sense, is a Levite. Because what were the Levites? The Levites were those who were set apart for a particular service to the Lord. The Levites were those who were called out. The Levites were those who were chosen by the Lord. All of those statements I just made are statements that God makes about you as a believer in Jesus Christ. Let's start in Romans chapter 8. 
Romans 8. Verse 29, Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. See, you are set apart in Christ. You are called. Just as Hezekiah issues the call, Hey, Levite! God calls you. This is the way this works. This thing we read in chapter 29 was from the Lord. This command from Hezekiah wasn't a command from Hezekiah at all. It was a command of the Lord. It was a calling of the Lord. Romans chapter 15. Romans 15, verse 16. To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. See what Paul sees himself as? He sees himself as part of that that Old Testament ministry. And part of that is to call the Gentiles into that service. That by the Holy Spirit, we become sanctified. We become those who are set apart. We become those who are called out. We become those who are consecrated. That's who we are. See, we... Levites. We're New Testament Levites. Only now it's, it's not just a particular part of us as believers. It is all of us as believers. It is the entire church of Jesus Christ. We are called to serve. One more passage under this. 1 Corinthians 6.11 Some may say, no way that given my past, there's no way given my sin, there's no way given what the things I've done that I could ever be of service to the Lord. 1 Corinthians 6, we pick it up at verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. You were washed. Made those Levites able to do that service. They were consecrated. What does consecration involve? A washing. Paul is saying, we've been washed too. We've been washed. We've been sanctified. We've been set apart. We're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Two faithful witnesses. Isaiah 
8, 1 through 3. I don't know if when Paul is penning this, he is, he is, he is being led by the Spirit to recount this story of, of 2 Chronicles chapter 29, but it certainly is a picture of it. Those who are called to serve, sanctify. See, we have work to do. Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2, 9 and 10 talks about the fact that, that we are a royal priesthood. We're Levites. We've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light that we can do the work that needs to be done. And what is that work? To declare his glory in all the earth. That's our task. The task of Kish was to to go to the, that temple and to put his shoulder to the work, to clean it out, to scrub it down, to clean all those utensils, to get it ready for a revival, for God's blessing upon the nation, to do their duty, to answer the call of duty. God is calling us to a duty as well, a responsibility to proclaim to declare his glory amongst the nations. You want revival? Open your mouth and declare God's glory. You sick of the cesspool of sin and degradation within our nation? Then open your mouth and declare the glory of God. That's what we've been set out to do. Not be quiet, not be still. Not do nothing. Tired of seeing the church go downhill, the evangelical church in our world? What does it take? Stand up and declare the glory of God. That's why we've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's why we've been set apart. Yes, God could have cleaned that temple in a moment, in an instant. But he said, no, that's not the way I want to do it. I want Levites to get to work. God, in a moment and in an instant, could convert individuals if he desired to do so. But God says, no, I'm going to use my church. I'm going to use my people. That is going to be my means of declaring my glory. And as my church arises, as my church speaks of my glory and of my majesty, revival shall happen and my blessings will come. Many of you, thankfully, and we gratefully say thank you for answering the call to our nation's service. Today, God is issuing a call to each one of us, far greater, far grander, far more significant cause. Will you today answer God's call? By God's grace, God's people say, Amen.
Father, thank you for your word, for its challenge to us today. Pray, Lord, that we might take this word, that we might munch upon it, that we might chew upon it, that we might eat it, and that, Father, when we, when we grasp it in our heart of hearts, when we grasp it in our souls, it will indeed be sweeter than honey from the comb. And that we, Father, as Kish of old, as those other Levites of old, arose, that we too, Father, in our day, church, nation, world, leads us lives to our call of you. Christ's name, God's people say, Amen.